just, just stand over there for a second. Turn to the side. Can you pull your head a little bit more back? I've said this from the very beginning, I'm not the story. I didn't shoot Burke. I'll bring you a jacket and stuff, okay? A jacket? Yeah. My first impression of Forrest Bloaty, the Texan college grad, now under arrest for Burke O'Brien's murder, was that he was a privileged white guy who had just shot his friend and was acting offended that he was being arrested. It wasn't until much later that I learned he was a more complicated figure. The hard part was hearing that Burke was gone. Aside from being you know, someone you love, he's not there with you on your story, and now I'm alone. And not only am I alone, but they're also charging me with something that I didn't do. Are you sick or injured? Any medication? AIDS, TB, hepatitis? They put me in this cell and I never have any idea what time it is. So tired. They just kept getting crowded and more crowded. Everybody laying down, if possible, like sardines on the ground. Here I am, you know. I you know, have a college degree. Uh, I'm just, you know, a guy working every day. You know, went out, and all of a sudden, you know, I was mugged, and now I'm here. What is the reason behind this? Why me? From ABC News, this is a murder on Orchard Street. Forrest was pale, tall, and lanky. He had this floppy haircut, and when I first saw him, he looked like he was in way over his head. He and Burke were fraternity brothers in college, and had certainly never seen the inside of a jail cell. That night was just supposed to be a fun reunion in the big city. Burke's sister was in town, so uh, we went out that night and went and saw friends band and then went to another bar. I was just hanging out. I mean, it was as normal an evening as can be. Me and Burke get in the cab together. So then we're on the way to my apartment. We stop on Grand. Went to the ATM. I took $20 out and I came back and, uh, you know, paid the cab, you know, across the street. Went to my door and, you know, before I you know, had a chance to pull out my keys or actually, you know, open the door. Next thing I know, there's, you know, someone with a gun relatively close to my head. I have trouble remembering exactly what, you know, the dialogue is and everything, but I do clearly remember, you know, him saying, you know, take everything out of your pockets. I gave him the uh, change from my taxi. I think I remember saying something like, you know, we, we really don't have anything else. We don't have any more money. We really don't. I'm not staring at him intently and strongly, which is something that I regret I didn't do. Burke had, you know, slightly taken his jacket off and just laid it on the side of the rail to the left of him. And Burke said, listen, you don't need to do this. 
And then the guy was, you know, saying back to him, like, no, you don't need to do this. Burke had taken, like, a small step toward the gunman. He lifted his gun and fired the weapon. As soon as the shot was fired, they were off. They were gone. You know, I, I told him, you know, just wait here one second, I'll be right back, I'll be right back. I grabbed his coat, I put it over his shoulders, and I ran into the house. By that time, you know, my roommate um, was outside and, and so was Burke's sister. Forrest kept saying he'd been shot and he'd been shot and I was taking off his t-shirt trying to see where that where because I couldn't see it. I couldn't there was no blood, there was no hole even that I could find in any of his clothes. And then I kind of started to to lose it and break down. Berg's sister was in the ambulance, and she said, "Come on, come on, you know." And uh, and I thought I was going to be going, you know, in the ambulance. And uh, they said, "No, no, no, stay here. We need your help on identification and you know the story and everything." I said, "Okay, okay." Just a real clear image of what he looked like as I was like closing the ambulance door, you know, and he was standing on the sidewalk, you know, just, you know, helpless, really. That would be the last time Rory and Forrest ever saw each other. Immediately, Burke's murder became news making headlines in the local papers, even the New York Times. This kind of attention was unusual, not so much for the Manhattan South homicide detectives, but for the 7th Precinct detectives who don't specialize in homicide. Like Sergeant Gibbons, who sat in the precinct reading every article. 25-year-old man is shot in the chest. Yeah, he's stepping from a can. came to New York to put his footprint on it. Young, good-looking, from an affluent family. Of all the homicides I covered, this one certainly got the most attention by a long shot. Here's Detective Kenny Sylvia. When you hear somebody's killed, the expectation is that the person who was killed was involved in all kinds of drugs, has a, has a long arrest history. And then when you have a situation where the guy is young, he does, he's not a minority, and he has a college education, he's just breaking out into the world, no criminal background... I think uh, when they have something like that, the newspaper makes a big deal out of it, only because it's something that's a little bit more unusual, and it's going to make people want to buy their paper. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. 
If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the Roaring Twenties. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're going to go back to 75 Orchard right now. Mm. All right. I just want to see what's going on traffic-wise in front of the location. And when the detectives went back to Orchard Street, they weren't the only ones. Look at this. Oh, no. Yeah, just give us a little the stoop where a day before Burke lay lifeless was now mobbed with press. Are you are you Forrest? No. The seven Prison Detective Squad. I had a feeling this place was going to be a zoo. Can't believe this. And Kenny was getting frustrated with the frenzy. It's not been a productive day because I've been on the phone with everybody. There's a sergeant from the chief of these that I've spoken to about five times already. Seventh Squad Detective Sylvia can help you. I would much rather handle a homicide where one drug dealer kills another drug dealer because the rest of the world is not interested in that. And then I'm not handling 500 phone calls a day from all kinds of big bosses and the media, council people and everybody else, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. They all want to know what's going on right away. And then I'm spending a whole day in the office answering phones and telling the story 500 times when I could be out there doing this investigation. Sergeant Andy Dietz was starting to feel pressure from the bosses, too. I was, no, I was in the chief's office for like, uh, 40 minutes. So he wants, uh, he wants this thing tightened up. So. Just try and find where, you know, where this gun possibly could have went. So I, don't know, I don't know what to tell you, but just uh, take a look around. Someplace maybe we missed. But the detectives were running out of places to look and they still didn't have a weapon, or a clear motive. One of the things I hadn't anticipated while following the detectives was how much each case would get in their heads and often shape their thinking in the next case. Dietz and his team were just coming off of a case that involved a love triangle, and they thought this could be something similar. It was, it was certainly fresh off of that other case that perhaps Forrest and Burke were fighting over a girl. It would seem logical that this little love triangle was, was in place in this one as well. Remember Rory's friend who was there that night? She had actually told the cops that she was in love with Burke, but then was hanging out with Forrest the night of the murder. By telling that story, she offered up a theory that made a lot of sense to the detectives, even if it wasn't her intention. He might be a little annoyed that now this guy's, take, this guy's taking his girl. This is a lot, I tell you, similar to the manhole. Exactly, I just said that. My That case involved two guys fighting over a girl. One of them shoved the other into an open manhole. The guy was boiled to death. That case was as horrifying as it sounds, and the cops seemed to quickly draw parallels between the cases. Both involved two friends one of them ending up dead. Kenny keeps saying this over and over, like, oh, you know, 
and now it'd be time to say something like, this is crazy. Although Forrest told them there was no love triangle, most of the cops didn't believe him at first. There's, you know, nothing that I'm hiding. There's, you know, there's nothing to hide here. I'm telling you everything that's going on. In my many months with the NYPD, I started to see the city through the cops' eyes. Shot and fall back, it would fall back right into the front door. Every day, they saw the ugliest, most violent sides of humanity. There's a shooting across the street. And I saw that it kind of colored the way they viewed the world. Just because people lie to us doesn't mean uh, we're wrong. Everybody seems to lie to us. And even though these instincts often led them in the right direction, this time, they might not have. Throughout the interrogation, Forrest stuck to his story, that there was no love triangle and no fight. Kenny had told me, like, you know, if there was something, you know, you want to tell us, now is the time to tell us. And I told him, like, over and over. That's when I started to say, okay, they have some crazy idea that, that I did this. I think they deal with a lot of people that are... Uh, just bad people, criminals, and uh, that might come out in the way they question me. From what I was seeing, the cops weren't used to dealing with someone like Forrest. His attitude rubbed them the wrong way. A lot of the cops told me that they tended to relate better to what they considered run-of-the-mill perps than entitled New Yorkers from the Upper East Side. They felt looked down on by people like that, and that created more distrust. I think they felt the same was happening with Forrest. Here's Kenny and Forrest describing their very different perspectives about what went down in the interrogation room. These are people that are all college educated. They're not hardened criminals and they haven't dealt with adversity like this in their lives. They kind of pull back and like, wait a minute, you can't talk to me like that. I think that anybody in my situation would be angry. Their job is to uphold what's right and to protect you and all of a sudden it changes to attacking me, basically. Were there times during the interview that, that I got really close to him, up in his face? Yeah. You know, it, it's just hard to deal with a traumatic situation and then be yelled at and then told that you're a liar. I certainly didn't speak to him in a very polite manner. Absolutely. It was all about trying to figure him out. You have to understand, somebody died here. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to get to the bottom of this. Regardless of where you come from, what you do, I have a job to do. Um, there's a victim, and I work for the victim. Burke wasn't the only victim in this. His family was devastated by the loss of their son. This is the first conversation Kenny ever had with them. Right. Okay, I mean, I don't think it's necessary, but if it, if it's, if it comforts you guys to, to travel with Burke, then, um, you know, I, I don't see the, you know, why that would be a problem. When I spoke to Mark O'Brien, the father of this victim, for the very first time, he had a lot of questions. Um, right now, the only thing that you guys as a family need to do is somebody can, can go to the medical examiner's office and make an identification. It's not like it's in the movies. You're not going to be walking into a, you know, a large refrigeration room and they're going to open up a steel drawer and, you know, pull back a sheet. Um, you're just going to walk in, you're going to be inside an office, and they're going to show you a, a Polaroid photograph, okay? And it's just of, of, of his face, um, and that's how you make the identification. It made an impression on me when Kenny spoke to the O'Briens the way he did, and I know it made a huge impression on the O'Briens. 
Mr. O'Brien, and again, I, you know, you have my sympathy and, and uh, my condolences. I'm sorry we have to, you know, meet each other this way. But um, hopefully, you know, uh, when all is said and done, you know, you'll have some closure at the end of all of this. Rory O'Brien and her sister later told me that their father, Mark, became consumed with who killed his son. We could have a much stronger case by Wednesday, um, or we could find some additional evidence that sort of supports what the defendant says, and it kind of maybe puts him in a better light. Just because there's an arrest doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, this person ultimately is going to be convicted. Ultimately, the DA decided there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute Forrest. But this call began a relationship with the O'Brien family that continues to this day. Next time on A Murder on Orchard Street. 7th Squad, Detective Sylvia can help you. Now, how, how close were you right now? So when you ran, you ran northbound? What I would like, are you home right now? She sees one of the guys that's on the sidewalk pull the gun. Thank you for listening to A Murder on Orchard Street. If you're interested in this story, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a quick review to help others discover it too. You could submit tips about this case to the NYPD by calling 1-800-577-TIPS. Again, that's 1-800-577-8477. A Murder on Orchard Street is a seven-part series produced by the teams at ABC News Nightline ABC Radio, and ABC News Digital. Our website is abcnews.com slash orchardstreet. New episodes post Tuesday mornings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and the ABC News app. You'll find our other podcasts there too and at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'm Christina Kiley.